I get to teach one of the best classes at uh, Bethany. It's called Intro to Mass Media. Basically, what we do is we watch movies and we play video games. Uh, and then we talk about what their implications are and what they do to people's brains and stuff. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm a sucker for that sort of thing. And the key to a great movie, the key to a great video game, it's typically the same. It means having a great hero. And I like a big hero. I like that, that image of the person who's like standing alone at the end of the world and only they can prevent it, right? Like that sort of thing, right? Uh, uh, that kind of epic thing. However, I am also a big sucker for the other kind of hero. I'm a sucker for that kind of, that person who contributes meaningfully to the saving of the world. They're a hero in the thing that they do. My main hero uh, from real life, not from movies, uh, is a guy named Norman Borlaug. I may have even talked about him in the past. Uh, Norman Borlaug is a straight up hero. He was uh, born as a, he was born in Iowa, farm kid. He graduated college with a degree in agricultural sciences and he took that degree and he traveled around the world. He would go to the most poverty-stricken places on the planet and he would take strains of wheat and grains and he would start crossing them to try to optimize them for the particular climate that they had. So we went down to Mexico and uh, he adapted wheats that would grow really well in sandy, windy conditions. And he went to India and he developed grains that were going to grow very well in their really harsh conditions in some parts and would improve massively yield. He went to China, he went to a whole bunch of countries in Africa. Finally, in 1970, he won the Nobel Peace Prize, the biggie. Uh, and when they awarded it to him, it had been calculated that Norman Borlaug was responsible for saving a billion people from starvation. Absolutely a superhero. And actually, this is the funniest part. I didn't know this until fairly recently. Norman Borlaug is an ELS guy, or was an ELS guy. He's a heaven guy now, but uh, he, was, he was from the ELS. Uh, he's from our parish in Saudi Iowa, uh, baptized and uh, confirmed there. Uh, so kind of epic to have a hero like this uh, in our midst. Somebody who, through hard work and grit and determination and faith, worked really big things. I am a sucker for heroes. But hero is something that's hard to live up to. We can look at a guy like Norman Borlaug and say, holy macaroni, that guy saved the world. He was part of saving the world. And that seems like an awfully tall order for a hero to have to live up to. That seems like something that's awfully huge for us to aspire to. Today, we are going to be looking at one of the absolute great heroes of the faith. We're going to look at what is it that made this individual so heroic. And then we're going to follow it through. And we're going to see that maybe that story has some implications for being, our, uh, for being heroes ourselves in our world and in our lives. Our text is one of those ludicrously simple texts where I think that maybe Pastor Krause is like deliberately tweaking my nose with them. Uh, this is everything right here. It's Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, and it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. 
It's the kind of verse that you would roll immediately over because it's sandwiched between some pretty epic events, right? God telling Noah that the world is about to end. Noah has to build the boat. Then the rain comes and the animals get on and the ark floats away. It's sandwiched in between this epic narrative. And so it's the sort of thing that we just sort of would roll over. But actually, this is the sentence that identifies just how super heroic Noah is. Almost nobody in human history was able to do this thing, obey just as God told them to do, right? Noah is genuinely set up here as someone uh, heroic. Now, it's easy to try to diminish this accomplishment, right? Uh, because after all, as we said earlier, he was quite under the gun. There was a flood coming. It was going to cover the entire earth. It was going to crush anyone who wasn't specifically saved by God in this specific fashion. So he didn't exactly have a huge amount of choice, right? He, he had to build this ark out of just simple self-preservation. So it's easy to say, well, you know, Noah doesn't deserve too much credit. He, he was really under the gun. And beyond that, oh, it's easy to say that uh, Noah didn't really deserve all that much credit because he just did what he was told to do. It's not really particularly heroic to just follow the instructions. He, he wasn't the one who figured out that there was going to be a gigantic flood that was going to consume the world. It wasn't him who came up with the plan for how he was going to get out of the flood and not be smashed, right? It wasn't him who came up with the plan for how the animals would go into the ark and be lifted up by the waters. All of it was just God telling him what to do, and then he functioned as the contractor. He, he built the thing just the way that he was told to do. So it's easy to try to say, well, there's nothing particularly heroic about that either. Well, first off, I'd point out that even if we take God and perfection, out of uh, the equation, human beings have never been particularly good at uh, following instructions, following directions. Uh, my, one of the shows that my daughters really love is a show called Nailed It. Have you guys ever heard of this show? Anyone seen Nailed It? Okay, no hands, but some nodding. Uh, yeah, that's how my classes do these days too. Uh, the uh, uh, Nailed It is the show that's kind of, the whole premise is kind of based around the idea that people won't follow the directions. Uh, every single episode, they present uh, the uh, contestants with a challenge. They're supposed to make a beautiful cake or a cupcake, and they're given the recipe. They're given the instructions by a master chef on how to do it, and nobody follows the instructions, and so they always end up with some horrible catastrophe on television like this. It, it gets really ridiculous. I remember we were watching it one time, and uh, a lady unveiled her creation. When you unveil it, you say, nailed it, and, uh, and everybody laughs because it's horrible. She unveils hers, and it looks good. It looks really good. And they taste it, and it tastes good. They're all surprised at how did she manage to do this? And, and so the chef says, what did you do in order to accomplish this? And she said, I, uh, I followed the recipe that you gave me. And the French chef nearly burst into tears. It had been four seasons, and she was the first person to actually follow the uh, recipe that she had been given. Even on a basic level, human beings are terrible 
at following instructions. When you plug God's divine will into it, we become worse than terrible. Even think about some of the, the really huge heroes of the faith, people that we would look to and say, that guy is ultra holy. Guys like Moses. Moses was given really simple instructions. Talk to that rock and water will come out of it and everyone will drink. And Moses, as you may know, walked over to the rock and whacked it with a stick. And then the water came out anyway. God still provided, even in spite of Moses uh, being sinful. But you could scarcely ask for more simple instructions than the ones that Moses ignored out of some sort of self-interest. A hero like Moses sinned because he wouldn't follow God's simple instructions. Moses' successor was Joshua. Joshua was given a simple instruction. Get everyone out of the land. At first, Joshua was doing this, and then he started cutting deals with some of the people who were living in the land. He disobeyed God's really simple instructions, and it came back to bite him, of course. Jonah disobeyed God's very simple instruction. He said, go to Nineveh, and Jonah didn't do that. Obviously, that had consequences. So human beings have never been particularly great at following instructions, even if they're just tremendously faithful people. When we say Noah did what God said, that sets him in a totally different league altogether. What about that other bit where we were talking about consequences, right? Noah deserves less credit because there were so many consequences to his action or inaction. Well, clearly that was the case for these guys. Jonah was eaten by a monster because he didn't follow God's simple instruct. I can't think of a consequence that's as bad as that, as being eaten by a giant sea creature. Moses' uh, uh, punishment for not obeying God. He didn't make it into the promised land. Joshua and the nation of Israel had a punishment that lasted centuries because they didn't follow God's simple instructions. It wasn't even a punishment, it was just a reality. He didn't drive the people out and therefore they stayed and messed with Israel constantly. It's not as though all of these people were not given instructions where if they didn't follow them, they, wouldn't, they would just walk away unscathed. They were all under the gun too. And it was tremendously difficult for them to obey God's simple rule, God's simple directions. You know what I'm about to say next. It's the same for us. God gave us unbelievably simple instructions. And beyond that, just like Noah, these were instructions that he gave us for our benefit. Noah was said, build that boat and you'll live. God told us the same thing. He said, do this and you'll live. All of these directions that we were given were entirely for our benefit. God doesn't get hurt if I steal. That doesn't take anything away from God. God doesn't get harmed if I lie about my neighbor or if I choose to believe the worst thing about them. I hurt other people. I make victims around me if I do those things. I make a victim of myself. I myself am harmed when I sin. But it doesn't hurt God. It doesn't steal anything from him. It doesn't take anything away from him. He gave those commandments not for his benefit, but for our benefit. 
even knowing that death and hell are the punishment for our disobedience, even knowing that each of these commandments is for our own good and that doing them will only result in good things for us, despite these commands being so completely simple, able to be distilled down to a list of 10, we still did not obey. So we come back around to Noah. How did he do it? How did he, where did he find it? That he would follow the instructions that God gave him, that he would work and achieve something that not only saved him in the flood, but also his wife and his children and their spouses and innumerable species of animal and life on the planet. Where did that all come from? We look a few verses earlier, and this is actually where it comes from. Uh, right when it's introducing Noah to us, it says, he walked faithfully with God. Noah's faith did not start with his obedience. Noah's obedience grew out of his faith. He knew what was coming. He already believed that God's promise of a Messiah, thousands of years out though it may be, was going to be true. He believed he was already saved by God on account of this promise. If he could believe that he was saved by a Messiah that he hadn't seen yet, he was ready to believe also that God could save him from an earthly catastrophe. It was, it was comparatively easy to place trust. God had already worked faith in his heart on account of what he promised a Messiah from sin was going to do. We use uh, Jesus actually as a picture uh, very frequently for how we survive this world. Jesus, one man, just like Noah, one man was going to be responsible for saving life in this world as the world came apart around him. He was going to bear the brunt of God's anger at sin. It was going to punish him and slam him. And meanwhile, all of us would be safely ensconced inside. We would be protected inside of him. This picture comes up over and over when we talk about like being wrapped in Jesus's garments, this idea that Jesus wraps around us and that God's wrath flows around us. He accomplished this by facing the whole flood of God's anger head on. It came crashing into him when he was on the cross. He carried every sin that you have ever committed, that I have ever committed, that every human being has ever committed. We see what that anger looks like when we look at the wrath of the flood, a wrath that tore a world apart and killed everyone in it. Jesus stood between us and that flood of righteous rage, and he covered us up with his own perfection. He had earned eternal life. He had done everything that he was supposed to do. He had avoided doing everything that he wasn't supposed to do. And in those last moments, he took that perfection and he laid it on us. All of a sudden, we were inside 
of Christ. And all that wrath only served to lift us up towards God. The Bible itself actually uses this uh, uh, illustration of the ark and the people inside it being lifted up repeatedly in Scripture. One of the most pointed areas is here in First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. It says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. And it's only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism, which saves you also. The waters of baptism are the waters of the flood, only now they don't kill. Now, through forgiveness, they lift you up. They raise you away from the earth and towards God, safely tucked into Jesus Christ. It was an important illustration for uh, early Lutherans, in fact. We looked at the, uh, uh, at the ark and we said, this is a picture of what life is like here on earth. We are inside of God's word. And all around us, the troubles of this world, the concerns are pouring all over. But we remain safe and secure and heading towards heaven inside the ark. If you look at old uh, Lutheran churches, in fact, they've oftentimes been designed to look like uh, boats or overturned boats to give people that reminder. So Noah was a hero because of his faith. His faith is what got him started and gave him the ability to do some things that would please God, the ability to say that he would do this. So where then does that leave us in relation to it? We are, are likewise forgiven. We are in the ark. Christ is wrapped around us, and we are floating here at the end of all things. We're safe in the ark while the world ends. Look outside. The world is coming to an end. These are the final days. All of the signs are there. The waters are rising. And we're not scared. We're not scared not because we're ignorant about what's happening. God's been explicit about what's happening. We're not scared because we are in the ark. We are wrapped in Christ's righteousness. We know that it's got nothing that we actually have to fear. It's secured for us an eternal life. What can possibly harm us? What earthly thing could convince us to go up onto the decks and jump out of the ark that we're in? Some sort of trouble or concern or mockery from the world? Nothing out there is going to make us say, oh man, I better jump out of this thing and, and get back out there into the deluge. We're safely ensconced in the ark. And in the ark, we're given an opportunity that Noah never had. Noah was not allowed to save anyone apart from his immediate family from the flood. Anyone who wasn't on the ark when the flood began had no way of getting on. Sometimes we read into this an awful lot. Some, uh, people are, are occasionally surprised to hear there's no record in the Bible of anyone like mocking Noah for doing what he was doing. I think that partially it's because we... we acknowledge that he has to be a hero, but it sounds like if he's just been following instructions and saving his own life, that he, that's not particularly heroic. So we've invented some antagonists for him. It's maybe reasonable to assume that that happened, but there's no record of it. 
Anybody who wasn't on the ark when the flood started was staying in the flood. There was no way for them to climb on. We're in the ark right now. And all around us are people who are standing ankle deep in the rising waters of the coming judgment. And we're given lifelines. We're given the opportunity to do something that no one ever had the chance to do. We can throw them to people who are in desperate need, who are watching the waters rise, and we can bring them in to safety. Together, we can stand with them on the ark and roll through the destruction of this world even into heaven. God used Noah in a small effort and his obedience to save the world. He has put us in the ark as well and has given us the ability to play a crucial role in the salvation of other people. He's given us a crucial role to play in the salvation story of the world. With Christ's forgiveness, he makes us heroes. Amen.